as you pointed out, right, money market funds are, I guess, 95% of the balances in the RRP. All of the answers to our questions about the volume or the, the balances in the RRP kind of stem from what has to change either in the marketplace or what is going to alter the behavior of the money market funds that are parking so much of their cash in the overnight RRP. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of the FX Factor podcast. This will be our final edition for 2022, so we want to wish everyone listening a safe and happy holiday. And of course, we wish you all a very prosperous 2023. This time, my guest is Peter Mayorano from our Global Collateral Finance Desk. Pete's been on the uh, podcast before and has helped us make sense of the U.S. repo market. Ahead of what should be a very interesting year when it comes to the plumbing of U.S. markets, I wanted to have Peter back on to just sort of talk about some of the more topical uh, themes that are emerging in that space. And of course, for those of us that focus more on uh, macro assets, there will be some broad uh, takeaways and implications for what to watch for going into next year. You know, we've got several items to cover, but I think the, the most pressing ones are, of course, the Fed's quantitative tightening program and how that's playing out over the background. And also uncertainty with what's happening with respect to the Fed's overnight repo, reverse repo rate facility. Pete, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a lot, Pip, and it's good to be here. Thank you. Excellent. So why don't we start off by reminding our listeners what exactly the Fed's overnight reverse repo facility is? Yeah, so that's you know that's a program that the Fed put in place in order to allow money market funds and others who are holders of you know large large amounts of cash to be able to get a a rate on their cash and it began you know back when the target on the funds rate was uh, zeroed uh, 25 basis points and overnight repo was sometimes trading you know through the floor on the target on the funds rate sometimes trading through uh, zero so the fed put this in place as a as a mechanism for you know those holders of cash to sort of have a, a floor beneath you know which they didn't have to go to invest their cash so the latest data still shows that the take up of this facility is north of two trillion U.S. dollars. You know, originally we had expected that the Fed's quantitative tightening program, which you know effectively burns deposits in the U.S. banking system, would have meant that money market funds would have reduced use of this facility. Peter, why hasn't this happened as of yet? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. Certainly, a year ago today, you know, I would have been sort of of the camp that the balances in the RRP would have been coming down, sort of starting by, you know, the September, October timeframe of 2022, and you know that really hasn't materialized. I think a, a, a couple of things have transpired to create the situation, as you pointed out, right? Money market funds are, I guess, 95% of the balances in the RRP. All of the answers to our questions about the volume or the the balances in the RP kind of stem from what has to change either in the marketplace or what is going to alter the behavior of the money market funds that are parking so much of their cash in the overnight RP. And, you know, it seems to me that it's, uh, you know, it's a couple of things. One is, you know, we've gone through a year of some, I guess I would say, unprecedented or historic uh, rate rises, right? So when you're in that type of environment, it's an, it's a pretty natural desire for people to keep their investing short term in nature, right? And And they're not really willing to extend very far out the curve. So, you know, a lot more money was getting parked way up in the uh, front end of the money market space and in overnight repo, you know, because of that Fed hiking posture and the speed with which they were hiking and people just unwilling to extend. So that's, I think, one 
you know, one part of that equation. So the QT, you know, really started just to kick in in earnest in September of this year at around 95, you know, billion a month. So I think over the course of 23, you could, you know, you're looking at another, you know, roughly trillion dollars worth of treasuries and or mortgages that are in circulation and uh, could end up in the hands of, you know, more levered players. And then, so those players looking for funding. And then I think what I've read is that you could see upwards of an increase of a trillion dollars in the supply of uh, treasury bills as well, right? So if we get more supply in the money market curve, coupled with the fact that money market funds, as the Fed, you know, sort of gets to the tail end of their hiking cycle over time, over the next few months, we should start to see if we haven't begun to see the begun to see it a little bit already, a willingness on the part of money market funds to extend out the curve and take some duration. I think those those two things or three things, you know, the, it really boils down to two things, the supply of money market collateral, i.e. T-bills, plus the willingness of the money market funds to extend out beyond the very, very short term in light of the, the Fed, you know, presumably coming at some point in the not too distant future that near the end of their hiking cycle. And then, you know, so call it, I would say mid 2023, you know, we should definitely start to see reduction in the RRP balances. And, you know, we're up over 2 trillion, as you noted, you know, close to, you know, 2.2 trillion. So I think if we get by May, June, if those balances are running, you know, sort of in the 1.5 trillion, you know, zip code, I think we're heading in the direction that, you know, you and a lot of others have been thinking that we would be. Okay, that was a fantastic response, Pete. Really enjoyed that. So another follow-up question to that, that if, if money market funds are actually going to look at extending out the curve, I mean, what does that mean really for the banking system? Does that really change or alter the configuration of what we're seeing in terms of deposits right now? Are we going to see a further sort of attrition of deposits going forward? Yeah, I, I think, you know, projections that I'm I'm seeing and reading for deposits over the course of 23 or sort of by the end of 23 are in sort of the 2.3-ish, you know, trillion range. So maybe, you know, a slight, a slight reduction, but not material. And as you're saying, I think most of the trade-off, if you will, and the um, money fund's willingness to extend is going to come out of the RRP itself, not as much out of deposits. Hey, I mean, remember back in 2019, I believe it was, the end of the last Fed rate hike cycle, you know, we did see a spike in, in repo rates back then. If I recall correctly, they, the concern back then was the fact that there was really a, a lack of certainty or you know, maybe banks were a little bit overly optimistic in terms of what they saw as the minimal level of reserves in the banking system. Do you see a similar risk this time around as well as we continue to push forward with QT and, and a whole host of other factors that are worth eyeing into next year? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Yeah, the repo spike, as we it's referred to as in September of 2019, you know, did come at sort of the tail end of the QT and, and the Fed reducing its balance sheet at that time. But I, I do believe there was, well, there were a couple of significant changes. First and foremost, the Fed has put in place the SRF, the standing repo facility, which should go a long way to supplying liquidity to the markets in times of stress. And I would think greatly reduce the 
chances of such a repeat. And I think it's put in place, though, for the exact reason that we're you know discussing here that you know the Fed could overshoot on its balance sheet reduction and liquidity could you know become an issue. But I do think that having that program in place mitigates that that risk quite a bit. That as I said, first and foremost, is there to be able to combat that. But also there were sort of a confluence of events that took place in September 2019 that that all, you know, led to, to where we got. I think you had a lot of levered players in the market who had gotten very, very used to relying on very short-term funding, a lot of overnight repo funding. You had a lot of like smaller, lately capitalized broker dealers in the market who were trading, you know, huge repo books and funding themselves on an overnight basis. And those smaller broker dealers don't have access to, you know, the money market funds. They don't have the ratings to be able to deal with them. So, that, you know, they were in large part reliant solely on funding on the repo broker screens. And when larger banks and then larger banks were not able to disintermediate that market because they had September 30 quarter end balance sheet limitations. So it really was sort of a confluence of events that led to that sort of anomaly, I would say, in the market. And I don't believe, and I never say never, but I don't believe that things should happen again, given the changes that are in place since then. Right. So it sounds like you're really optimistic about QT going forward into next year and not causing a hiccup in the repo rate market, similar to what it did in 2019, then, if I'm hearing that right, correct, Pete? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, with respect to quantitative tightening, do you envision that proceeding smoothly as it has been so far up until the end of 2023, or do you think there are going to found to be some hiccups along the road, uh, maybe not directly related to the repo market? Yeah, you know, at, I mean, at this point, as far as I can see or tell, I don't see anything that's going to dissuade the Fed from continuing on on the path that they're on with QT. As I had mentioned, you know, I think we're looking at another over the course of 23, you know, roughly a trillion dollars of QT occurring over the course of the year. I think the Fed will, you know, they'll pause and or halt raising interest rates, you know, before they alter the amount of quantitative tightening that they're doing. Okay. And what are the big risks to your base case view here, Pete? I mean, what are the sort of black swan-like events that could really impact uh, the way you're looking at things right now? Yeah, I, I guess, you know, I mean, from the general market standpoint, if the, the rate increases end up causing a major recession, you know, and you see a, a large, you know, pivot by the Fed, you know, and the Fed starts uh, starts easing or has to ease dramatically. That again, that's we're talking about the black swan event in my mind, and that I don't, I don't personally see any lowering of interest rate in 2023. Although some of the market are are calling for that, you could see the Fed cease quantitative tightening, I suppose, uh, in that type of scenario. But even if you know, from a standpoint of you know, just bringing it back to the RRP and the levels in the RRP, you know, if that were to happen, you could see the money market funds extending at a faster pace and the levels in the RRP, you know, drop because of that. So I, I don't see any event that is going to, you know, sort of royal the funding markets if that's if that's what we're we're talking about. All right. Thanks. I mean, these are interesting takes for everyone uh, that might not be familiar with this market. And certainly it's going to you know, potentially play a factor as we head into next year and uh, 
really several additional quarters of uh, the the Fed's quantitative tightening ahead of us. Uh, I will say, and then close this out with some comments uh, on the dollar, there are a couple of risk events that could ma- end up mattering next year, one of which is going to be the potential looming showdown between Congress and President when it comes to the debt ceiling. And that's something that does merit watching, at, at least from a liability standpoint, when we look at the Fed's balance sheet, uh, potentially. We've written a little bit about this already, and we will be following up on this in, in early January. But suffice to say that if we do see transition in terms of the liability side of the Fed's balance sheet away from the Treasury General account and to a build in say, bank reserves, that could pretend to some U.S. dollar downside. And that's one of the key uh, reasons that we remain somewhat bearish to the U.S. dollar uh, into next year. So I'll close out this episode of the FX Factor by thanking you, Pete, for joining us. And we'll certainly have you back on next time. Thank you very much, Bippin. It's been great to spend some time with you. Thanks. Excellent. And thank you all for listening in. We'll be back early next year with an additional round of new episodes. Looking forward to it. Have a safe and happy holiday and I wish you all uh, a happy 2023. Cheers. The information and data contained here and has been obtained or derived from sources believed to be reliable without independent verification by CIBC Capital Markets and to the extent that such information and data is based on sources outside CIBC Capital Markets, we do not represent or warrant that any such information or data is accurate, adequate, or complete. Notwithstanding anything to the contrary herein, CIBC World Markets Inc. and or any affiliate thereof shall not assume any responsibility or liability of any nature in connection with any of the contents of this communication. CIBC World Markets Inc. or its affiliates may engage in trading strategies or hold positions in the issuers, securities, commodities, currencies, or other financial instruments discussed in this communication and may abandon such trading strategies or unwind such positions at any time without notice. CIBC Capital Markets is a trademark brand name under which different legal entities provide different services under this umbrella brand. Products and or services offered through CIBC Capital Markets include products and or services offered by the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce and various of its subsidiaries. For more information about these legal entities and about the products and services offered by CIBC Capital Markets, please visit www.cibccm.com. Speakers on this podcast are not research analysts and this communication is not the product of any CIBC World Markets Inc. research department, nor should be construed as a research report. Speakers on this podcast do not have any actual implied or apparent authority to act on behalf of any issuer mentioned. The commentary and opinions expressed herein are solely those of the individuals except where the speaker expressly states them to be the opinions of CIBC World Markets Inc. Speakers may provide short-term trading views or ideas on issuers, securities, commodities, currencies, or other financial instruments, but investors should not expect continuing analysis, views, or discussion relating to these instruments discussed herein. Any information provided herein is not intended to represent an adequate basis for investors to make an informed investment decision and is subject to change without notice. CIBC World Markets Inc. or its affiliates may engage in trading strategies or hold positions in the issuers, securities, commodities, currencies, or other financial instruments discussed in this communication and may abandon such trading strategies or unwind such positions at any time without notice.